0: On this episode, one of the last radio interviews ever conducted with the late Phil Marshall, the author of The Big Bamboozle, an explosive and controversial book about 9-11 and the Saudi royal family.
2: Central Intelligence has basically taken over the United States government. They've changed their name to the United States Intelligence Community. They're based at the George Bush Center of Intelligence in Langley, Virginia. And they now control 16 of our most powerful agencies in Washington. Those include the Department of Homeland Security, TSA, Transportation Security Agency, the CIA, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, the Department of Justice, the Department of Defense, and here's the big one, the United States Treasury, where over $15 trillion have disappeared from our Treasury since the 9-11 attack.
0: This podcast is supported by Paranormal Contractors, a division of crime and trauma scene cleaners. If you have unwanted paranormal activity in your home or business, it's time to bring in the professionals. Call 1-866-724-0800. 1-866-724-0800. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night.
1: Richard
0: Phil Marshall was a United Airlines and Eastern Airlines pilot, and after he retired from flying, he began researching what happened on 9-11 on behalf of the families of the United Airlines pilots who died during the 9-11 attacks. Just prior to this interview, I had met Phil on the Santa Monica Pier outside Los Angeles, where he told me his story and his findings. Not too long after this interview, on February 4th, 2013, Phil Marshall was dead. Officially, we're told Phil shot and killed his two teenage children while they were asleep in his home. He then turned the gun on himself. A number of investigators familiar with the case have maintained that there are several inconsistencies with the police report. The gun was found in Phil's right hand, yet he was supposedly left-handed. A neighbor reported a car sitting outside Phil's home a short while before the incident, and Phil had apparently confronted the individuals in the car. Now, I met Phil one time in person in Santa Monica. He seemed like a normal, calm, rational person. If someone would have told me that the person I just met would kill his two children and then himself in a few short months... I wouldn't have believed them. But who am I to say? The Big Bamboozle is a dangerous book, and what better way to discredit someone and get rid of them at the same time than implicating them in a murder-suicide? We may never know the whole truth. Here's how this interview sounded with the late Phil Marshall back in late 2012. Philip Marshall is a veteran airline captain, former government special activities contract pilot, He's authored three previous books on Top Secret America. And his latest, as I just mentioned, is The Big Bamboozle, 9-11 and the War on Terror. Time is tight. The information here is so compelling, so important, so let's get right to it. Hey, Phil, welcome.
2: Hey, good evening, Richard. How are you?
0: Terrific, thank you. And it was a delight meeting you in Santa Monica a couple of weeks back and a real eye-opener. Yes. Let me begin by saying this. I, um, I finished the book, and I, again, I think it's important that, uh, everyone within earshot, uh, get a copy. And not that, uh, you know, w- w- not that I, I normally promote books to this extent, but I think you've really nailed this one. Uh, like a lot of people, I got distracted with the whole control demolition, uh, aspect of this unsolved crime. And now after reading your book, Philip, I am convinced that that is a Huge distraction, uh, maybe by design. I'm not sure, but um, a lot of the information, uh, the, uh, the I mean, this is the 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 world's biggest unsolved crime, and a lot of the information that solves it is contained in a report that was uh, issued by the Congressional Joint Inquiry. Something that most people have never heard of. Fewer have even read. Tell me about the Congressional Joint Inquiry. When when was it formed, and 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 who were its um, leaders?
2: Yeah, it was uh, it was right after the attacks, actually. Uh, in two thousand and two, the inquiry was formed over the objections of the Bush White House, and um, Senator Bob Graham, who was the head of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence uh, for the Senate was the head of that inquiry and um you know they did a ten-month investigation into it they were able to find fbi documents you know that showed that the fbi agents had had been following the nine eleven hijackers and that they had been in contact in in close uh... uh continuous contact with uh... saudi arabian intelligence agents who were acting as their uh... as their guides through america uh... you know they they landed in um i mean the, the inquiry report is is fascinating uh... it shows that the hijacker two of the hijackers had landed in los angeles back in uh... january on january fifteenth to be precise of uh... two thousand and were soon met by Saudi agents who were connected to my area of expertise, which is the training of the of the hijackers on the on the Boeing airplanes. Uh,
0: the the uh, Bob Phil uh, or Bob Graham, rather, uh, yeah. who led the inquiry. He was joined by a couple of top notch congressional investigators. Tell me about them.
2: Yeah, there was uh, one. Eleanor Hill was a uh, a veteran congressional investigator, and another guy named Jake Jacobson. Who uh, who was also a F, former FBI uh, agent, and he had turned um, into an investigator. He he investigated it for for the Congress also.
0: And as you as you point out, you have two FBI's in this in this scenario. You have the field agents who are trying desperately to avert or avoid a uh, catastrophe. And then you have this other FBI with asterisks beside it. Explain the difference between the field agents and this other FBI, uh, FBI headquarters, I believe you referred to them as.
2: Yeah, well, the, the FBI field agents were following the hijackers. They had, um, they were looking for them. And then, uh, headquarters basically, um, which was, you know, being run out of the George Bush Center for Intelligence, um, you know, every time they sent up, you know, hey, we, we we found these guys out training. You know, later on in, in the investigation, um, the hijackers were out in the desert in Arizona uh, training to fly Boeing airplanes. And the FBI field agents actually sent up a message to headquarters. Hey, we found these guys out here. We believe they're up to no good. We believe they're doing some sort of a terrorist operation and um you know they sent the warnings up to washington and when they got there they they literally disappeared
0: now before we get into uh, a lot of the substance here which again uh, draws connects the dots really between the the royal house of saud members of the royal family uh, of saudi arabia and the 9/11 terrorist uh, terrorists uh and this national security state that you're beginning to describe um let me ask you why we haven't heard about the Congressional Joint Inquiry. If it was um, uh, you know, struck in, in 2002 and you had uh, Senator Bob Graham leading this and investigators, uh, this is before the 9-11 Commission. Why didn't we hear about this? Why didn't the mainstream media report about this inquiry?
2: Yeah, well, it was Dick Cheney's work. Uh, Dick Cheney actually called Bob Graham on the phone and told him to basically put a lid on it. And um, you know, that if he tried to reveal any of the stuff that they ended up redacting in that report, which was 28 pages worth, that they would face charges of leaking classified inf- information. So they, they threatened him with jail. If he was to release any of this information to the to the media or to the public,
0: and then Bob Graham would later, a couple of years later, write his own book. Uh, I believe it was entitled "Security Matters." Did he divulge this information in that book?
2: Yes, he he, he went into great detail, you know, and, and he made a, a bunch of great points. You know, one one being that, you know, hey, if it would be so difficult, you know, say you and I, Richard, decided we're going to go to Russia and do some sort of a. Uh, a, you know, aerial assault like this in a, in a big operation, you know, how, how difficult would it really be, you know, for, for them to detect us in their country trying to pull off some sort of an attack like this? But as we look at this, there were, you know, there were at least 20 people involved in the, in the direct conspiracy. And, um, you know, the people behind the, the scenes who were training these, Uh, hijackers to become pilots you know to fly a mission that lasted about 30 minutes long you know you know it it really gets it, it really is almost impossible to think that you know that these guys could have been in the country training you know for this big mission you know we went we know where they went at the beginning they went to Florida for their initial you know basic training in small airplanes and then later on You know, in 2001, they all moved to the, they all moved to the desert and started flying these, you know, uh, learning how to fly these Boeing, uh, airplanes that they were, that was, that was used in the attacks.
0: Uh, let me remind listeners, Philip Marshall, a veteran airline captain, is with us and uh, uh, has led a comprehensive 10-year study into the tactical plan used by the 9-11 hijackers and is the leading aviation expert on the September 11th attack. Uh, let me just set the table here uh, for those just joining us, Philip. So uh, you believe that uh, and and the congressional uh, joint inquiry uh, tends to suggest that this was an inside job. It was carried out in part by the the, uh, the hijackers, but there was obviously participation within the U.S. administration.
2: Yes. Someone, you know, the the, the entire mission was, was carried out by the Saudi Arabian Intelligence uh, Agency. And, you know, the 9-11 um, joint inquiry said that, you know, they were Saudi spies that had seemingly unlimited funds from Saudi Arabia, they knew where they were getting the money from. They, they tracked down the bank accounts, and they were able to find, you know, that they had shared bank accounts with some of the top people in the Saudi monarchy, including uh, this Prince Bandar bin Sultan. Was um, you know he? I, I believe that he was the initial mastermind, and then they later on farmed out, you know, the actual attack and the execution the former Saudi intelligence chief, uh, a guy named uh, Prince uh, Turkey al Fawzel, who they found, you know, he left Las Vegas, you know, in the same desert, you know, just a few days after the attacks with 100 men, you know, so they had a pretty big logistical and tactical team on the ground operating in the U.S., and I believe that, you know, they could not have been operating here without some sort of protection from our intelligence community.
0: Uh, you, you, you point out that uh, Bandar al-Sultan Sultan is, is, um, or at least you, you, you were describing this to me when we were in Santa Monica together, that uh, that he is so close uh, to the Bush family that he's known as Bandar Bush.
2: Yes, and you know, before 9-11, I was actually studying the Iran-Contra uh, affair that I was involved in back in the 80s, and his name came up as a financier in the illegal arming of the Nicaraguan Contras. You know, so the Bush, uh, the Bush Cheney, uh, Saudi connection goes way back. It goes back at least 30 years to when, you know, these guys have worked together on several covert missions together.
0: Now, Bandar was at the time the ambassador to Washington, was he not?
2: That is correct. And, yeah. you know, we found, I mean, he met. Donald Rumsfeld. In, I have a picture of him on our Facebook page. Our Facebook page is called the Big Bamboozle, and uh, it's a good place to go. That's where we put we post a lot of our uh, videos and a lot of the media coverage that we believe is is nonsense, and then we will rebut the you know the postings that the media makes. But um, you know, Bandar is. You know, he he is really <laughs> he goes back a long he he goes a long back a long way with the, with the Bush uh, family. The missing link here to all the you know the, these theories uh, with the Saudis is is what I was investigating, and and that is basically the nuts and bolts of nine eleven. You know how they actually executed the attack, how they actually trained the hijackers how they actually flew the mission, you know, um, h- how they prepared for it, how they, um, you know, how they started, you know, years in advance. This thing, you know, there's there's another group called The Project for a New American Century. I bet you've heard of that. Oh, yes. And um, they, you know, they basically wrote the blueprint for the post-9-11 world, which was to invade the Middle East and to pretty much clamp down on you know, American society. Um, you know, you can look at this as the the central intelligence has has basically taken over the United States government. They've changed their name to the United States Intelligence Community. They're based at the George Bush Center of Intelligence in Langley, Virginia, and they now control 16 of our most powerful agencies in Washington. And um You know, those include the Department of Homeland Security, you know, DHS, the TSA, Transportation Security Agency, the CIA, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, the Department of Justice, the Department of Defense. And here's the big one, the United States Treasury, where over $15 trillion have disappeared from our Treasury since the 9-11 attack.
0: So this is a coup d'etat. Uh, it's the second coup d'etat. First, they took the executive branch over in 63 in Daily Plaza, and then, I guess, the remaining important departments with 9-11. Prince Bandar, member of the Saudi royal family, was the ambassador to Washington, D.C. during 9-11. His wife, did she not write checks to the, the terrorists?
2: Yeah, well they they had a joint bank account at the Riggs Bank in Washington that was in business I think since 18 1830 or so, you know way back before the you know before the civil war even you know and uh, this was a big Washington powerful bank and you know she had an account there and so did Bandar himself and then the hijackers, the people who were uh, supporting the hijackers, were harboring the hijackers on the West Coast, also had a bank account at that same bank. And there was transfers that the Congressional Joint Inquiry found that went from her bank account directly to the people who were aiding the hijackers.
0: So I mean, this is not conspiracy uh, theory, folks. This is the; these are the findings of the Congressional Joint Inquiry, which was largely ignored, muzzled uh, by uh, Dick Cheney. Even uh, now, did Cheney not sick the FBI to investigate the uh, the members of the inquiry?
2: Yeah, according to Graham's book, uh, you know, he wrote a book called Intelligence Matters, and um, you know, he described how you know they were threatening. You know, the, the investigators, the congressional staff, and everything with lie detector tests, with all kinds of, you know, intrusive, uh, you know, interrogations, and just threatened them, and they muzzled them into silence, and that's exactly what, uh, Senator Graham said. They were muzzled into silence by Dick Cheney.
0: Now, the, the Saudi, uh, agent that, that met uh, at least two of the hijackers, I believe, in in San Diego. Uh, tell me about this individual.
2: Yeah, well, this guy was named Omar Al Bayumi, and he was a um, he was a Saudi national living in the United States, living living in San Diego. And on uh, just a couple of days after the hijackers had landed in in Los Angeles, he drove up to the Saudi embassy and met behind closed doors at the Saudi embassy and left that meeting and and went directly to a, a small restaurant in Los Angeles where the hijackers were waiting and he now the thing that I found really interesting about him was he was the guy that I was looking for because when I put the I began my research by putting together the attack I recreated the attack I recreated the times that they departed how they flew the mission what kind of air you know aviation uh skills were needed to fly this mission and i determined that they had definitely had contact with boeing experts and this guy omar bayumi was working for a company called dalla avco out of on the west coast but they were based in saudi arabia and they had boeing aircraft that they had underneath their uh, under their certificate, so this was my aviation expert that I was looking for, and he was he wasn't an aviation expert, but he led them to the company that had training materials, had simulators, had all the you know all the things that you would need to you know train the hijackers, and I'm sure he had access to uh, Arabic speaking flight instructors for the Boeing aircraft.
0: Omar al Bayoumi. This is he's he was an is an employee of the Saudi Civil Aviation Authority. Right, and he met these hijackers. Now, this again is co- according to the Congressional Joint Inquiry. Yes, he was someone that the FBI were very interested in speaking to. Yes, what happened when the inquiry tried to speak to this individual?
2: Well, they actually served him a subpoena, or, or they they wrote up a subpoena and. Um, the FBI headquarters and the, the Bush White House refused to serve him the subpoena. Why? They didn't give a reason. They just said...
0: <laughs> you cannot interview this individual. Yeah. This so. is someone who had contact with at least two, perhaps three hijackers prior to the 9-11 attacks, had repeated meetings with them, and the inquiry was told by the FBI, by Dick Cheney, don't you dare speak to this individual.
2: That's correct. That's correct. And, and, and the, the most interesting one is, is the, uh, the, the eventual pilot hijacker for American 77, uh, a guy named Hany Hanjour. This is the one that um,
0: hit the Pentagon. This is the one that yeah, flew into the Pentagon.
2: That's the one that hit the Pentagon. Exactly. And he flew into town, um, into San Diego, um, you know, the day after Bush was declared president by the Supreme Court. And soon after, within the next week, all three of them left the San Diego area, and that's when they went out into the deserts in Arizona and began to train for the mission.
0: Now, we need to spend some time uh, discussing how this was pulled off, because, as you point out, in The Big Bamboozle, everything we knew about al-Qaeda, if there is an al-Qaeda, up until this this point, was all about... Car bombs and and uh, you know shoe bombs and 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 pretty awkward, clumsy attempts to bring down airliners. Now all of a sudden, we're led to believe that they're capable of something far more complex. I mean, exponentially more complex, bringing down uh, or bringing the, the most sophisticated uh, military uh, and defense mechanism ever known to man to its knees. It just doesn't. It doesn't add up.
2: Oh, it, it's, it's absolutely impossible to suggest that these guys, the ones that, and, and the thing is, is that there's no evidence. In, when, you, when you read over the real evidence in this case, the facts all, all point to the Saudi operation. And to suggest that some guy that's living in a cave without electricity was the guy that defeated all U.S. national security is, is, is it's preposterous.
0: However, and, I, and I, I asked you this in Santa Monica because up until I, I read your book, Phil, I part of me still b- believed that, it, it, that uh, those buildings may have been brought down in part by controlled demolition or some other some other device uh, that it that it wasn't possible, for example, for Honey Honjor to maneuver um, uh, Flight 77 into the Pentagon and, and, and hit it that way. But but you say. It is. I mean, you're you're speaking as a veteran commercial airline pilot. The things that they did on nine eleven, those 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 hijackers, it is possible with the right training.
2: Oh, absolutely. And, and um, you know, I, I've flown the patterns, you know, in the simulator that they flew. Now, the most difficult one was the one that hit the Pentagon. You know, he he began. He he didn't take over the airplane, and I, I point this out in the book. You know how. The errors that they made, I believe that they meant to take that airplane over a lot earlier, but they didn't, for some reason, they didn't take the airplane over until it was almost 300 miles to the west of Washington. I think the initial plan was to take it around 70, 80 miles, something like that. So there, there was some kind of a, a malfunction going on with the, with the hijacking that they didn't take the airplane over when they should have. So it really exposed a lot of errors and it really exposed who was behind it because, you know, all that time that it took them to fly, I mean, they were flying for 40 minutes, you know, at 500 miles an hour straight, you know, while the country was under attack, you know, something that would look like a missile on a radar, you know, a 500 mile an hour object coming straight at, at the nation's capital, um, it really exposed them. But to, to see the way he flew that airplane, you know, he turned it around, you know, he descended, he took the autopilot off for a while, he put it back on, he came down to 9,000 feet over Dulles Airport, you know, and this is 30 minutes into after they took over the airplane, and supposedly, you know, NORAD didn't see this, this missile coming right at at Washington, and he disconnected the autopilot, he came down to about seven thousand feet. He did a very advanced uh right descending turn. You know, this is all on the on the black box recordings, FAA radar, NTSB reports that I was able to, to get. And um, you know, he he, he he rolled out about twenty five hundred feet, uh about four miles to the west of the Pentagon, pushed up the throttles all the way to to the firewall basically. And, and, and nose the airplane down and hit the Pentagon at an incredible speed, 480 knots indicated, which for that airplane at that altitude, the red line is at about 350 knots. So, I mean, this guy really did some phenomenal flying, but like I said, this guy had time in airplanes before. He had a commercial uh, pilot's license for smaller Single-engine airplanes, but definitely he could have been trained up easily to to that level of flying. But it would take many, many practice sessions to get that type of proficiency.
0: And uh, and um, of, of American Airlines uh, eleven and United Airlines one seventy-five that hit the north and south towers. Uh, likewise, those maneuvers could, you could do that if you had enough training.
2: Oh, absolutely! I mean, these are normal procedures. I'm, I mean. They're, they're procedures that we practice in the simulator all the time. Basically, uh, 175, the one that we've all seen that hit the South Tower. So, you know, he was over New Jersey at 31,000 feet and, you know, basically did a, what we call a, a high dive, which is, you know, in case you, you know, blow out your uh, pressurization, we practice this all the time, where, you you know, throttles off, spoilers out, you just let the airplane dump down.
0: How would they know exactly where to hit it to cause the buildings to collapse?
2: Well, I think he was trained to hit, you know, at a certain point where you were out of the range of the water cannons. And then, you know, if you, know, if you look, you know, people say, well, you know, a missile or, or whatever. But look, a, a Tomahawk missile weighs 2,500 pounds. It's not a very big missile. A Boeing seven sixty seven weighs three hundred thousand pounds. Okay, so that would be it would be the equivalent of hitting that building with about a hundred tomahawk missiles. When you consider that that airplane three hundred thousand pounds with um, thirty thousand gallons of jet fuel in it, you know that was that was the biggest conventional missile. Even though it was an airliner, it, it, it's, a, it's a missile.
0: But we were told that the hijackers uh, basically learned to do this by flying in some single-engine planes and then watching some movies. <laughs> why would they? Why would they say that? Why wouldn't they give us a more believable story and say no? They had training. They were. They had. Uh, you know. They used simulators. Maybe they even flew a, fl- a few Boeing's.
2: Yeah. Well, you know they. <laughs> You know, they knew they knew that they went into simulators down in Miami and and one in Arizona. And then I believe that they actually got into real airplanes because at, at a certain intelligence community airport just north of Tucson, Arizona, I did the research on it and that airport had Boeing 757s and 767s parked. At that airport me just. very time. Phil,
0: let me take a time out. We'll come back and we'll discuss that. Phil Marshall, the big bamboozle. Stay with it.
2: This podcast is sponsored
0: by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show, why not consider becoming a supporter? Go to patreon.com forward slash StrangePlanet. That's right, we've changed the name of our Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash StrangePlanet and check out our three support tiers. The Truth Seeker tier, the Whistleblower tier, and the Star Chamber tier. Donors can receive access to an exclusive monthly Google Hangout on air, or a monthly live chat with me. You can also be eligible for a monthly draw and a chance to win Conspiracy Show and Conspiracy Unlimited merch. Patreon.com forward slash Patreon.com forward slash your support is greatly appreciated.
1: The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again, what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
0: You're listening to my conversation with the late Phil Marshall, former United Airlines and Eastern Airlines pilot, and the author of the big bamboozle
1: September 11, 2001, the deadliest attack on U.S. soil Nineteen hijackers carried out the plot. Nearly all, 15 of them, were from Saudi Arabia. Some say it's more than a coincidence.
0: There's absolutely no question that they were involved. Former Senator Bob Graham co-chaired the joint congressional committee that investigated the attacks. He wrote a book based on the committee's 800-page report. But U.S. security officials stepped in. In that report was one chapter that primarily dealt with the role of the Saudis uh, in 9-11 that was the only chapter in the book that was totally censured. Again, this is not conspiracy theory. These are the findings of the Congressional Joint Inquiry led by a former Florida senator, uh, a Republican moderate by the name of Bob Graham. And it, well, what what was um, not redacted certainly clearly shows a connection between the uh, the Saudi royal family and the 9 11 attackers or the 9 11 terrorists rather, but none of that could have happened without complicity from somewhere inside the United States government. Now, is it is it, does the nine does the congressional inquiry go so far, uh, Phil, as to indict individuals in the U.S. government uh, for this cover up, or do they simply hint that there was a cover up? What what do they say?
2: Um, I know. The parts that have been declassified do not go into that. Uh, however, uh, Senator Graham has, you know, vehemently, uh, you know, exposed that the, there was 28 pages that are still classified that go into greater detail, and um, th- those 28 pages. Now, th- this is a report. This is a congressional report paid for by the taxpayers. To get to the bottom of the nine eleven incident and um, the attack, and um, you know, for for Dick Cheney to step in there and say, "No, I'm sorry, you guys, this is classified," and w- when everyone on that committee was saying that there was nothing, nothing that affected national security, that it was just a total embarrassment, they called it to the um, to the to the Bush administration.
0: Now, let's get back to this um, this covert airfield that you've concluded was where the terrorists, where the hijackers were trained in simulators. Now, first of all, is it possible, speaking as a veteran airline uh, captain, is it possible for an individual to fly in Boeing simulators undetected?
2: Uh, it would be very, very difficult. I mean, there there's contracts, contractors that... That, that, uh, rent out Boeing simulators to, you know, potential pilots. Now, I'm not talking about simulators here. I'm talking about actual airplanes that were on the ground at this, uh, this airbase, um, that's known for covert activity. It, it goes all the way back to the Air America days when they were training in the C-123s. And, um, you know, this airport has a long history of black operations and uh, covert operations being trained out of that airport. So that's a lot of top secret stuff going on out there. I went out there myself to, to visit that airport one night and I saw all kinds of Black Hawk helicopters. Uh, I saw C-131s, C-130s, you know, out there practicing training all throughout the night.
0: So, so you've deduced that this this airfield is where the hijackers uh, learned to fly Boeing's.
2: That's my that's my educated guess. The, um, you know, at the at the time we had Saudi, we know we had the Saudi hijackers out there. We had the Saudi uh, intelligence people out there. And we know that there were 757s and 767s, the, the same planes that were used in the attack. They were parked at this field.
0: Would they have actually been able to, to, to do a dry run and actually fly, take, take their turn uh, in the captain's chair of a 757 or a 767 while in flight?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely, they could have done that many, many, many times over. And the the Congressional Joint Inquiry and and the 9/11 Commission both found that all of the pilot hijackers had made trips, you know, in, into the desert um, for, for, for from about May until August of uh, 2001, where they would they would land at Las Vegas Airport in the in the desert and they would disappear for 3 or 4 days at a time and then they would reappear and go back to the east coast and that every last one of them was documented to do that and in the big bamboozle i show you know all of these you know all, all the testimony of the of the fbi director who was who actually mentioned those flights
0: and again it's not possible, for example, that these hijackers told the people that were training them were members of the, uh, you know, were were bodyguards for the Saudi royal family. They want us to train as pilots. Why couldn't they have have used that excuse?
2: Oh, well, they used that excuse when they were in basic training down in Florida, when people were asking them what they were doing you know in Florida learning how to fly airplanes and they they said that they were Saudi royal family bodyguards learning how to fly airplanes but when they got out into the desert um, the FBI agents were following them around you know and, and reporting hey you know these guys are out here you know in the desert they're learning how to fly airplanes we think they're doing some kind of a terrorist activity they sent that up you know it, that's all documented in the report This this FBI uh, field agent out of Phoenix uh, reported them. I mean, they could have stopped this. They could have stopped the attack probably 10 times from the time just on the FBI reporting, you know, through their own channels. President Bush continuing his trek through the Middle East. He lands in Saudi Arabia this morning, where the government there declared a national holiday in his honor. His warm welcome comes on the coattails of a $20 billion arms deal that the U.S. has pledged for Saudi Arabia. The deal gives Saudi Arabia the right to buy precision-guided missiles from the U.S.
0: Welcome back. Let me crib here quickly from the big bamboozle. From the moment the hijackers arrived on U.S. soil, it is well documented that Saudi intelligence agents and employees of the Saudi Civil Aviation Authority provided housing, obtained driver's licenses, and harbored them. After lying low as a sleeper cell throughout the year 2000, they would be led to intensive flight training in the Arizona desert in December of 2000, which leads to the first plausible explanation of the incredible flying performance demonstrated on 9-11. After submitting an 800-page report to the American public, moderate U.S. Senator Bob Graham of Florida, the co-chairman of the Inquiry, said, quote, There was a direct line between the terrorists and the government of Saudi Arabia. The Saudi government had provided logistical and financial support to at least two of the 9-11 hijackers while they lived in Southern California. Graham chronicled that FBI headquarters had responded aggressively to Cheney's request that the FBI investigate the Inquiry staff during the investigation, interviewing dozens of members of Congress and their aides. The Bureau suggested it wanted to use polygraphs on some of the lawmakers with the threat of prosecution and jail, of being traitors in a time of war. To to Graham, the entire experience seemed surreal. So, the the Inquiry connects the dots to uh, Saudi intelligence, and then goes on to document how, or at least uh, Bob Graham did in his book, how Dick Cheney and the FBI wanted to cover this up. To me, that's pretty much case closed. You don't have to believe in controlled demolition to know that certain elements within the U.S. government, working with Saudi intelligence, pulled 9-11 off. Uh, Philip Marshall, uh, back to this airfield. Is there a connection between this airfield and Blackwater?
2: Oh yes, um, you know th- there was an author named Jeremy Skayhill who wrote the book Blackwater, and he really chronicled the connections between the uh, the number three man supposedly at, at, at CIA, um, a guy named Buzzy Krongard. Um He was he was the man who was doling out contracts, you know, no bid contracts to, to Blackwater on behalf of, of us, the taxpayers basically. And uh he was also the head of, of the same investment firm, you know, uh he was formerly the head of the 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 same investment firm who placed put option trades, stock trades on two airlines. Only two airlines were were traded in, in in big portions in the week prior to 9/11, and it was by his firm, and the the only two airlines that they used were American and United Airlines. They 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 um they they traded stock. They put put options you know you know betting that that the the stock price for United and American would go down. They did not place any other stock options on any other airlines.
0: And that was done through the Chicago Stock Exchange. But how do we know it was Buzzy Krongard?
2: Uh We don't know that it was from him, but we know that it was from the firm that he once founded. So there is a connection there. Alex Brown Bank was that it? Uh, exactly, Alex mm-hmm. Brown.
0: You mentioned earlier a uh, uh, Prince Turkey El Faisal, another member of the royal family. Uh, again, what, his connection to the nine eleven uh, hijackers was what?
2: Well, he was he was in the desert. And uh, they they departed Las Vegas. There wasn't anything written up on him until they they started looking into these flights that left uh, Las Vegas on September nineteenth, twentieth, and I think twenty second, um, right after the attack. And there were three chartered airliners that left Las Vegas back going back to, to the kingdom, and he was on one of them. And there was a hundred men with him so he had been in the desert at the same time that the hijackers had been in the desert and and the people who were harboring them
0: now it's interesting because some of the the survivors or the families of uh, those killed in the 911 attacks they launched a, a class action suit against prince turkey el, el faisal did they not
2: that's correct
0: and 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 what happened with that suit
2: that suit was thrown out because the the federal judge ruled that you know, we we can't sue a, a company, a, a country who is operating on U.S. soil, <laughs> e- even though that that is illegal for a, for a foreign intelligence agency to be operating on U.S. soil.
0: And and who was the lawyer for Turkey Al F- Faisal?
2: Um, well, it came out of. Uh, James Baker's law firm down there, you know, James Baker and, and, and the Bush family are real tight. He was chief uh, of
0: staff for for George 41. Exactly. And James Baker and George 41, during the Reagan years, you have concluded, were essentially responsible for the, uh, the Iran Contra.
2: Exactly, yes.
0: Do you think, then, that James Baker and George 41 were also involved along with Dick Cheney uh, with the Saudi uh, the Saudi uh, Civil Aviation Authority and, and uh, uh, members of the, the, the Saudi royal family in orchestrating
2: 9/11. Yeah I mean I believe that they this is a long-term plan to take over our government and I, I wrote about that in my first book uh, that was titled Lakefront Airport. It's not available for sale right now, but it will be soon. Um, but yes, I I started to make the connect the dots between James Baker, the Bush family, the Saudi family, and um, you know all this before 9/11 even even started.
0: So would you then conclude that we are what we what we witnessed on 9/11 was a was a coup d'état?
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at what, what has happened to our government since then, um, you know, and, and the big thing is that, you know, our justice system has been railroaded. Um, you know, they, they, they blame the, at at the same time they were training these Saudis, the back channels and CIA were floating this rumor about some, some dark ghost that nobody had ever seen, you know, some, some spooky guy named, you know, Osama bin Laden, you know, you know, boo. And, you know, trying to, trying to, you know. So, so they were spreading the through the back channels that this guy was getting ready to attack. So, on when when the attack came down, everyone in CIA and everyone in in the intelligence community said, "Oh yeah, we know who's who's going to do who who did this." You know, it's, it's this guy Osama bin Laden. And then, but when you look into it, there is no no not one shred of evidence of any involvement in the planning or the execution of the attack.
0: Now, Prince Bandar, it's, it was reported on July 26th, again, the former Saudi ambassador to Washington, that he was assassinated. Uh, what do we know about Prince Bandar's whereabouts? Is he, in fact, dead, or do we know?
2: Well, it's been known for, it, 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 there's been rumored for quite some time that he's, he's got major drug and alcohol problems. Um, and that he'd been in some kind of an asylum or some kind of rehab facility for years. It's well documented that he has drug and alcohol issues, and for him, he, you know, he, he's been coming and going in the media. And I think it's probably just another propaganda ploy. It might be his his plan to escape, just say that oh I'm dead and disguise himself and go live on, on an island somewhere for the rest of his life. I don't know.
0: Phil, when it comes to nine eleven, uh, skeptics uh, who suggest there's no way it would have been uh, an inside job, it's even you know odious and and uh, disgusting to suggest such a thing. And they say, so where are the whistleblowers? Well, we've got Senator Bob Graham, sort of blowing the whistle. But where are these FBI field agents who tried to tell their higher-ups that this was going on and they were repeatedly ignored? Why aren't they speaking out? Why aren't they more vocal?
2: You know, that's a good question. In a federal trial, you know, which I have always pushed for, you know, bring this Khalid Sheikh Mohammed to trial. Bring these guys up on on a witness stand and let them do it. But, the, you know, this is what I call a beer bottle cap conspiracy you know you've got all these people down in the middle of the of the bottle that are doing the grunt work the real americans the real people who are who are honest but it right at the top they put the director of the fbi in there and he holds down all that information so it'd be very interesting to get these guys on the stand and and hear what they have to really say
1: Uh, philip
0: job well done with the big bamboozle how can folks get a copy of this book it's very important that they do
2: Uh, The book is available on Amazon. We have it on Kindle. It's also all throughout Europe and um, the UK. We have it on uh, Amazon UK and Amazon Europe. Um, So it's available. It's easy to pick up on Amazon.
0: All right. Terrific job. And thanks for joining me, Phil.
2: Thank you, uh, Richard. And thank you for uh, keeping this subject alive.
0: It's the least I can do.
2: All right, my man. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Now, just a quick postscript. The day I found out that Phil Marshall was dead, I did what I often do when I learn someone I knew has passed away. I check my email to read my final email thread with that person. During the time I met Phil in the summer of 2012, and our final interview in late 2012, we had emailed back and forth perhaps a dozen times. It's important to note that I do not delete emails. In fact, only in the last year or two have I started to delete emails because of storage issues. I went into my inbox and searched Phil's name. There were no results. Not a single email. Very strange. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to fill you in on what's in store on the next Conspiracy Unlimited. This segment, sponsored by The Horrible Movie Podcast, available at iTunes and thehorriblemoviepodcast.com. Remember, just because it's from Hollywood doesn't mean it isn't horrible. Coming up on the next edition of Conspiracy Unlimited, historian Joseph Farrell on covert wars and a breakaway Nazi civilization in South America. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now.
1: A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now.